salutations, applications, and welcome to another episode of the Awesome Friday Movie Podcast. My name is Matthew, with me as always is Simon, and this week we're back in a new year to talk about our favorites from last year. Say hi again, again. Hello, happy new year to you and to all our wonderful listeners as we uh, stand back and throw raw energy through the Awesome Friday Podcast to start anew for a new year with Lots of new, exciting things happening that I can't think about right now. Indeed. It's nice to to begin the new year by talking about the old year. That's true. How was last year for you? How was last year? Movie-wise, I mean. Obviously, the year itself was a dumpster fire, as was the year before. I think I only saw Suicide Squad, actually, in theaters. I feel like there was something else I saw. I mean, obviously, we we both went to see Back to the Future um, with the music performed by the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra. Yep. But in terms of like going to a movie to watch a film, I'm pretty sure I only saw Suicide Squad. And uh, so it's it was a it was a weird year. I haven't been. I've, I've been to the cinema twice in the last two years. I know you've been more than me, but um, you're. I, mean, I, I have but also by like my normal standards, not by much. No, that's true. But I, I'm completely done being near huge groups of people. And that was even before Omicron started. So I, um, uh, as some of you may remember, I've moved to a new house. And in that new house, I have a room in which I can watch stuff whenever I want. And it's, uh, it's pretty sweet. The TV is quite close to the couch. I've got that amazing... Uh, how do you pronounce this maker of soundbar I have? Clipsch. That soundbar you recommended is bloody amazing. So I've got that and my TV and nice warm couch. And so it's amazing uh, watching movies and not feeling stressed about other people on their phone or talking or doing things disrupting a movie is actually pretty persuasive. And that's without the hideous... Uh, highly contagious pandemic that is uh, currently doing the rounds. So I've watched things, but um, many, many things I've watched in chunks as well. There's very few movies that I've watched beginning to end um, because my, my son now goes to bed at like 9.30 and I, I don't have time to watch an adult movie after that time. And so I've been watching things almost like breaking movies down into TV shows. Yeah. Um, I don't think and, you're alone in that practice, to be fair. Yeah, and that's that's interesting. I've I've watched a few things recently, but um, uh, I, I we've talked about this a little bit before, but it's so obvious now that all the provisions that studios made when everyone was in lockdown and they were pushing things through to demand and they were uh, giving screeners for people to watch instead of going to movie theaters, and suddenly you could see much wider variety of things, much faster, be a lot more current. It's kind of disappointing to see now CGOs like Disney um, reverting back to theatre only. Like 10 o'clock on Thursday is your screening time. Yeah, a lot of of press screenings in Vancouver are during the week and in the morning. And, you know, I I do have a day job, so it makes it tough to get to those. It is. It's really strange how they found a solution to so many things and it just went no no this is our our precious must be in the cinema and it's even more stupid for like netflix releases like why they don't provide screener links for the thing that has to be in a theater because they want their precious oscar buzz really winds me up so um that's been turning I mean, I don't want to sound too apologetic, but I'm sure it's more complicated than that too. I'm sure that like theaters, like cinema companies, have been hurting for you know this whole time, and getting people you know back butts back in seats is important if theater chains are to survive. Um, which you know I sort of understand. Um, I do already miss you know. I, the thing that bothers me isn't that things are back in theaters; it's that things aren't day and date release. You know, even. Even the stuff that in the States went to HBO Max on the same day that it was released in theaters, like, say, The Matrix most recently, we didn't even get it as a premium rental in Canada, which at the beginning of the pandemic, that's what happened. Like, in the first half of 20, you know, when um, 
like Wonder Woman was a premium rental and, and Godzilla versus Kong was a pr- premium rental. Like lots of the stuff that went to HBO Max, we got as a, a either a Max, uh, a Crave exclusive, one or two things, but most of them were at least premium rentals. And I was honestly happy to pay the $25 to watch Absolutely. them at home Absolutely. as a rental. Uh, like going yeah. to the going to the movies is more expensive than that, and I know that they make their, you know, they make their money from concessions, really. But yeah. uh, you know, we also occasionally get concessions through skip the dishes. So, <laughs> well, seeing the premium rentals disappear slowly one by one was really annoying, and it's not just the money as well. I've got, as you know, two kids to work around and. Good luck uh, getting a babysitter at the moment isn't really happening. So premium rentals was a big solution to a big problem for me. It actually enabled me to actually feel like I could watch movies again. And that's disappearing now very, very quickly. So it's it's really, really annoying pushing everything back to the theatre again. I know know the theatre companies need to make money, but I'm not sure... I'm not sure things are ever going to go back to the way they were before. Like take something like the last duel, for example, which by all accounts is a really good film. I think you've seen it. Haven't you? Last I have. Year. Yeah. It's quite good. Uh, I've heard very good things about it, but the, the, the demographic that it's made for was not going to go back into a movie theater to watch a movie like that. It's made for, that was not made for your Marvel crowd. I know Spider-Man's made all the money, but it's also, that's the demographic who are, not have no problem risking things to to sit in a movie theater and watch a movie about Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So, so the last duel, I think the lesson they should take from the last duel is that you don't necessarily have to hold it back from day and date premium rental because I think you're you're more likely going to find your audience that way. Not everything's going to be a Spider-Man, and unfortunately now Spider-Man's made a billion dollars in a pandemic. Everyone else is going to be like, well, now we have to make a billion dollars in a pandemic. And it's it's just really unrealistic. The the old ways no longer ring true, do they? Oh, especially with the Omicron variant, you know, rampaging through the populace. It's yeah. uh well, yeah, that's um so my, my hope for this year then is uh a little revert to revert back to this idea of allowing people to watch stuff at home. I don't think they will. I don't, I don't think. Yeah. I don't know. Back, back but I can tell you that my sort of my long-term plan for my, my movie going for the year is actually to focus more on other stuff rather than new release, like not to exclude new releases, but to, yeah. to focus on other stuff and also to take it a little bit easier. I don't think I need to see, as much stuff as I actually saw last year, at least not to write about it all. So yeah, yeah, it's a solid um, plan. So, so twenty twenty one, kind of a kind of a garbage year. And just for comparison, yeah. you saw like two things in theaters. I saw twenty, I think. In theaters. Yeah. Wow. I saw about I saw about fifteen things, and then I saw five things uh, as part of the film festival in Vancouver. Um, it's, I think it's an important note that a significant chunk of those, I think 30 or 40% of them were press screenings. So not like general screenings. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I saw about 20 things and that sounds like a lot, <laughs> but you know, in a normal year, I would average like one a week. So <laughs> it's still quite a bit, quite significantly yeah. fewer than I would normally see. Yeah, no. even even though I did watch more movies in 2021 than I think I've more 2021 movies in 2021 than I think I've accomplished in any year previous. Oh, interesting. Yeah, just due to you know expanded film festival coverage and just more access to screeners, like you know I saw more stuff. Yeah. What's your, if you're to pick, I know we're going to talk about our favorites, so without any depth, if I had to push you for one favorite moment from any TV show or film, like one moment from 2021 that stands out for you, not even a whole episode, not even a whole film, but one moment from anything that is your favorite moment of last year, what would you go for? God, that's a tough question. 
I was thinking about this. I was actually thinking about writing an article about it to accompany my other three best of the year articles. Um, and uh, honestly, the reason I did is that I sort of didn't, I couldn't, couldn't in the moment come up with um, a good list. I needed to think about it a lot more, but it, ones that immediately spring to mind are the end of nine days, the, mm -hmm. the soliloquy at the end of nine days. Um, the pancake making scene in Petite Memon is mm. spectacular. Uh, any individual scene from The Harder They Fall. <laughs> um, Doesn't sound like one, Matt. Yeah, I know. This is I, why I, you know, I generally don't rank my favorites either. But yeah, there's there's so many. There's such a good scene in Pig in the restaurant. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. What, I mean, you saw fewer than I did, but what would yours be? So, out of singular moments that stood out for me, there were a couple. Um, Space Sweepers, which we're going to talk about later, had me standing on my feet and cheering. But I think the the moment in the entire year that really uh, moved me the most was a credence, a, a credits sequence in Midnight Mass with someone screaming over the credits with no yep. music. And I guess we're going to be talking spoilers. I'm not going to give you the context listeners right now, but there's an episode. Usually the episodes end in music. This episode cuts to black and it's a woman in a boat screaming. Like yeah. the it's the end it's the end of her life. She's not dying, but she has a revelation. And Netflix oh. does this fucking annoying thing where it's like as soon as something ends, it's like, oh, the next thing's coming. you got seven seconds to find the remote control and cancel it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. So I managed to cancel it. And I watched the whole credits as the screaming turns to sobbing, turns to just boat noises. And for me, that's the single most affecting moment from the entire year of everything I watched and played. Yep, that's definitely up there for me as well. I've mostly been thinking about movies when I do these lists, but that is sort of unfair when you consider that Midnight Mass is my actual favorite thing of the entire year. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> like, I saw a lot of good movies, but Midnight Mass, I mean, I know that it's what finally got you to be a Flanagan fan, but like, uh, <laughs> it's it's the best thing he's ever done. I think it's a pretty pure masterpiece. And that episode, the end of episode five in particular, is gut-wrenching. Mm-hmm. Completely gut-wrenching, and I completely agree. The end of the series is also very affecting. Yeah. With, uh, I did... with the father and son praying and the, the one woman trying to dig into the sand. Like, this is the way, the way everyone's air character arc is pretty perfectly wrapped up you know, in the, one scene. Yeah, the end of Midnight Mass is perfect. And I think the thing that I found most perfect about this perfect ending, because I had no idea how they were going to find a way to finish it, but the, um, there's a wonderful moment where Bev, who has been this terrible person all the way through, suddenly literally sees the light and realizes that uh, she's, she's wrong and she's about to die horribly. Mm -hmm. And you have this moment of empathy, like, oh, she's finally, like, she's going to die with dignity. Oh, okay, she's just turned. And then she gets on her knees starts digging like an animal to try and dig herself out of the shit she's dug herself into. And you're like, Oh no. Okay. There's no empathy. There's no resolution for her. There's no empathy for her. She, she, she dies trying to dig her way out of what's coming for her. And I've said to you when we were watching midnight mass and I've never seen a Mike Flanagan before, but that he's a, he's absolutely masterful at allowing you to make assumptions and mm -hmm. then completely, completely pulling the carpet out from under your feet, allowing you to think you've worked something out and then flipping it totally in the most satisfying, shocking way was um, a real characteristic of that whole show. Really? Yep. Same with Hush as well. It seems to be something he's very good at. I mean, I can't wait for you to watch finally watch Hill House and Bly Manor. I think though that should be your goal for the year. Watch Hill House and watch Bly Manor. And Dr. Mm -hmm. just watch all of his stuff. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Oculus is also great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what should we talk about first? 
What's that? You want to talk about about first? Should we talk about films or performers first? Well, let's talk talk about performers. Who was your standout performer of the year? Uh, well, I published a list of ten people who I thought were like my favorite of the year. Um, I think my standout performer of the year, though, is going to be Isabel Furman, who uh, you may know as she was the orphan in Orphan years ago. <laughs> She's also in the Hunger oh, yeah. Games, the Hunger Games movies, the first Hunger Games movie, as one of the bad guys. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um. She was in a movie this year called The Novice, which was written and directed by a woman called Lauren Hathaway. And it's a portrait of a young woman who's basically she's a rower, like a like she rows crew. And uh, she's a she's a woman who's incredibly young woman who's incredibly driven to be the best at whatever she's doing, whether or not she's the best at whatever she's doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like in, in one of the in like the earliest scene of the film, the first scene of the film, I think it is. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it's in one of the, I guess the first scene. She's taking a test at university, and she finishes it and hands it in. And as she's walking out, someone says, "You finished first. Why'd you do it again?" Like <laughs> indicating that she's done it for a second time because she's a perfectionist. Right. And she joins the rowing team, the novice rowing team, with the goal of making the varsity team. And the, the whole movie is just her destroying herself to meet that goal, destroying herself. Just, and it's just, it's such an intense performance. And it's at least partly autobiographical. Lauren Hathaway was apparently a rower at university. Right. Um, it's wonderfully shot, wonderfully, uh, like the, she's really got a knack for direction, which I think probably comes from, she's a lot of experience on set. She's actually a, a sound designer, sound producer for other like she was a, the sound person on um whiplash oh oh wow yeah um so she's a real uh, you know she's had, had a lot of exposure to a lot of other creative professionals and anyway this uh the way this whole movie comes together is it's phenomenal and isabel Furman in particular is 100 percent in uh, and her performance is one of incredible intensity and i feel like she's really being overlooked in terms of you know, awards for 2021. Hmm. I've been meaning to watch that movie. I've heard really good things about it, actually. Yeah, I think it's on demand now, or it will be soon, at least in Canada. Um, I think it's, it might be later this month. I think it came out in the States, like, at the end of December, and I think it's coming out in Canada uh, soon, I think. <laughs> um. But anyway, it's an excellent film, and I feel like, yeah, it's on demand right now. You can rent it on iTunes for eight bucks, and it's worth every penny of those eight dollars. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think she's probably my favorite performer of the year. It's interesting because my I published my you know top my favorite ten movies of the year or dozen movies of the year, and then I did like another like ten like best of the rest and. You know, there's always sort of regrets when you publish a list. Um, but the one thing I sort of regret is I think if I had it to do over, I would put the novice up, like promote it out of the best of the rest and maybe move something like Free Guy down. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Because I love Free, Free Guy for Free a lot of in- reasons. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. But also like this, I think is a it's a movie that's definitely, I saw this movie at Tribeca back in june and it's been rattling around in my head ever since yeah that's always a good sign when it sits there isn't it yeah it's also got a perfect ending which i will not spoil (laughs) (laughs) oh good yeah and you who would you like to highlight is one of your people I'm, i'm always drawn towards strong female performers like females in in huge odds, fighting their way out of huge odds is, is one of my favorite genres. And the, uh, I really enjoyed one of the main, this isn't my performer of the year, but I, I thought Perry Baumeister in Blood Red Sky was fantastic in terms of mm-hmm. pure dedication to what she was doing. I really love Blood Red Sky. I, it was exactly what it should have been. And um, she, she could have played that, a lot more for laughs and a lot more um, camply, but 
her absolute physical mental dedication to being this vampire mum was staggering i thought um recently i am absolutely in love with stephanie beatrice's voice in encanto i don't know if you've seen encanto yet i actually haven't if you want to watch it just come here at any literally any time of the day and you'll either hear the soundtrack or the movie it's a really great movie and the songs are ridiculously earwormy but the main character is voiced by stephanie beatrice and i was like i know that name that's the woman from uh brooklyn 999 mm-hmm. and i've only ever heard her with her like deep gruff voice on and her voice in this is like she sings and she's got a much higher tone and now i've seen some interviews with her i know it's more like her normal voice but it is just voice acting is really 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 tricky to get right and her voice is just incredible in this so as a vocal performance that's my favorite but um i've been watching it's, it's funny actually because she also she was the voice of one of the newer characters the new characters in the lego movie the second part oh really yeah and she sang and danced in um in the heights this year which is another one that i for whatever reason just never got around to yeah yeah but for me it's uh daisy um help me daisy Daisy yeah daisy edgar jones who um really got her profile lifted by starring in a, a show called normal people which is meant to be very very good but i've been watching war of the worlds the hg wells story remade um a joint french british um uh show and it's it's the first season anyways for it's half in france and half in england and she plays a blind girl who has been completely blind from quite a young age after getting a disease and through a, a series of things she regains her sight when the aliens attack and um i've never really seen her in anything before and she has this incredible intensity and innocence but also this incredible like i don't want to say sexiness by reducing it but she is her character is is really really um kind of done in so many ways like it's the end of the world and she's seen some shit and she's just very forward with who she is and what she wants to do and and she's incredible in this she's vulnerable and strong and and she has incredibly expressive eyes and she acts blind in a non-stupid way and i always appreciate that because that's really tricky to do as well Um, well well, i haven't seen the war of the worlds but i can confirm that she is absolutely captivating in normal people yeah right oh you've seen normal people have you yeah it's oh, actually definitely. available for free on cbc gem last time i checked yeah yeah i should watch it i have no idea why war of the worlds has not got more buzz it's absolutely fantastic it's like a, a last of us meets the walking dead but with um biological robots invading the planet it's spectacularly good it's as really much- really good as much as I hate to say it, I think it might be due to the fact that it is only on CBC Gem, as far as I know. And uh, CBC Gem is a is a good platform, but they're not great at marketing. No, that's true. I um, I hadn't really heard much about it. It's a a Fox, oh, a branding of Fox produced it, but I'm not sure what that means anymore. But um, it's really good. I really encourage you to watch it. She's been my highlight of the year. Hmm. Anyone else? Like, who would you be your number two and three? Do you think? Well, I loved literally everyone in Space Sweepers. The the Koreans, <laughs> Koreans can do cool like nobody else can, and uh, just this this perfect ragtag bunch. Like um, the Netflix uh, adaptation of Cowboy Bebop didn't work because it didn't get the cool right, and you can see Space Sweepers as being the live action cowboy bebop because i mean it would uh, make more sense it would make more sense but they they have this cool going on but particularly the the main like the main couple of two or three parts have this like mix of emotion and stoicity and trying to keep everything together um 
and actually remind me when we do this again next year the expanse has just started and i and uh there's a i believe she's canadian there's an actress called cara g who is playing a space captain called camino Droma, who is unbelievable at this kind of um vulnerable but strong kind of mix and i just love um those that that korean approach to sci-fi especially in something as cool as space sweepers i loved everyone there um also performance wise i quite enjoyed daniel craig's last bond i thought he he did a really really good job with um a quite a tricky thing because what they did with bond is very very different from a lot of the other movies and that they really mm-hmm. wanted to draw a line under him as bond i don't really know how they're gonna go forward from here um daniel craig i don't know if it's direction of the script but his bond in the last movie is openly old he's openly tired but he can still like beat, beat the shit out of everyone and um he has a real humanity that I haven't really seen in a Bond movie before. There's, a, I'm, I like some of Daniel Craig's Bond movies. I think some are a little bit pretentious and overwrought for no reason, and I don't, I don't like how each of his movies is like something in his past is coming up, so like a surprise, a secret from his past. We're just the same, you and I. Like all, it's which especially. Especially it doesn't make sense when the first one presents him as a new a new agent as well. Right, right. You're brand so, new to the role. Here's your past. Come back to haunt you. Entire <laughs> past is important in every bloody film. He can't just go to a space station and get rescued by a guy with metal teeth. No, it's got to be something from his past. But um, this one um, has him as a as a human, like the most believable. Because Bond's not a believable character. He never has been. But Daniel Craig found a way to make him believable in this. And I really appreciate that. Um, and it's just as well, because there were parts of that movie, there were some actors in that movie who were easily some of the worst performed things that I've seen in a long time. But um, how about I mean, the movie, the movie's wonderful despite having probably the weakest Bond villain in decades. And, and it's not, it's not even a close thing, is it? It's... And I, and I don't even think it necessarily is Rami Malek's fault. I just think the the villain is so underbaked and so not interesting compared to the other stuff that's going on that it it just, it doesn't like. I think he probably gave them exactly what they asked for, and it just it's such a boring character. I agree that he's underwritten. I don't think that excuses him from absolutely dreadful reads on pretty much every single one of his lines, but I wasn't a big fan of him to begin with. If we're talking performers, we've got to talk about um, uh, Hyun Jung from Korea, who was in Squid Game, and she Mm -hmm. was spectacular in Squid Game. There's one episode where she's playing a very... Uh, a very gruff kind of um, the kind of person who keeps all her feelings to herself. And there's one episode where her emotions come out and her slow like descent into vulnerability is incredible. She was fantastic. Squid Game was great anyway. Everyone was great in Squid Game, but she was really, really good, I thought. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about um, this one that we've both seen? Uh, you know who we could talk about is uh, Andrew Garfield in um, Tick Tick Boom. So <laughs> fantastic! Uh, you know, and Andrew Garfield has never been—it's never been in doubt for me that he's a great actor. Um, but to have turned around in like something like ten months, learn how to sing and play the piano, and then turn out this performance in Tick Tick Boom is pretty incredible. Uh, and he's pretty spectacularly magnetic in the whole thing. I thought. No, agree, disagree. I mean, no, I totally agree. Like he he's a great actor and um in it, he was fantastic in social network and I, I haven't seen actually much of anything with him in. I haven't seen any of his Spider Men's. You're not um, missing much when it comes to his Spider Men's. Um, <laughs> he's he's really good in the Scorsese film Silence, which is a, a I think a difficult watch, but a very rewarding one. 
Why? His big break was in a film called Boy A, which is a British sort of indie feature. Um, cool. That's also just again like he's so good. Uh, yeah. If you you see that movie, if you saw, I saw that movie when it was new, which is I don't even know how long ago. Um, and it was one of those ones where you watch a movie and you're like, that guy's gonna be famous. <laughs> I'm like, that guy's gonna be a big star someday, uh, and it's true. He is great, and when you hear what he, as he said, what he went through to get the part, apparently Lin Manuel Miranda saw him in Angels in America, and then met him afterwards and said, "Can you, can you sing?" And he was like, "How long? How long until you film?" He said, "Oh yeah." He said, "Oh yeah, okay, I'll I'll sing <laughs> in a year." <laughs> so I just love this idea of well, I can't do it now, but I'll learn how to do it. And boy, does he sing! I mean, he's got an incredible voice in Tick Tick Boom. I don't know how much the piano is actually him if he learned to play the piano that way as well. But I seem to recall he, in the special features thing that he did learn to play the piano. I don't know if it's right. all him or not, but he did yeah. at least endeavor to learn. And God, what a, what a great movie Tick, Tick, Boom is as well in terms of performances. He's great, but also, um, what's her name? Oh, help me out. Um, you mean Vanessa, Vanessa Hudgens. Hudgens. Yeah. Vanessa Hudgens who has a bit of a reputation for being difficult. And of course she's a Disney girl and, and uh, she, I, I don't think there's many people who would have considered her as a serious actor up to this point. And she is so understated and so good in this movie. She's like, she, there's no, in it's each of a small, a small job, too. small job but sings beautifully and there's no feeling like she's trying to inflate it or take over. Like, and because it was so understated and so authentic, it really stood out for me. Like really remember a memorable performance from her. So very impressed with her. Um, but yeah, that whole movie is just fantastic. I, I would like to think that Andrew Garfield's going to get an Oscar nom for it. I don't know how the Academy feels about, musical theater i mean it's it's a show about theater it's a movie about theater and they do love sh movies about actors don't they so who knows but it's, well, not the kind of, it's not the kind of like old uh legendary um hollywood actor portrays a cowboy in the midwest kind of thing it's not <laughs> it's not well, the I, think up, I think he's up for a golden globe which i know we don't really care about anymore but um <laughs> I think he's up for a Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy. Um, and I think he's probably a lock for that, to be totally honest. Like, he's, yeah. he is so good. He um, and despite the fact that we've sort of canceled, you know, the Hollywood Foreign Press, uh, they're probably still a pretty big indicator of Oscar success as well. Yeah. Um, what else do we see that we both... Have you watched The Power of the Dog yet? Um, I've watched the first hour. I'd be really interested to see how you feel about that when you get to the end. How you feel about Mr. Cumberbatch, who I know that you're not huge on, but I feel like he's pretty perfectly cast in this film for reasons that if you haven't seen the last half of the film, I can't really explain. Yeah. I we After watching the first hour, I don't feel compelled to watch the rest of that movie. Uh, it is quite slow. Slow it's and very quiet. I, I don't mind slow. Slow's okay. I just don't. I don't enjoy him as a performer. Interesting. I don't. I don't I, it's, I, the reason I mention him is that it's. I think they did a really interesting thing by casting him because it seems like such a weird casting choice to make him like you know gruff cowboy in the in, you know early nineteen hundreds American old west. But when you get to the back half of the film and it starts demanding things of him that are more in his wheelhouse i would argue um it makes the casting against type in the first half make a make a lot more sense uh and b seem like kind of a genius choice because for the whole first half of that movie before you really sort of figure out what's going on with this character it's sort of his whole performance feels a little bit unnatural like a little bit overperformed and i think it's only really in the last half that it becomes clear that that is the character overperforming for everyone not just yeah. him not just cumberbatch acting in the film but it's his character putting on a character for everyone else in the film right and it's uh it's i found it quite compelling mm -hmm. fair enough yeah, yeah. 
Uh, see if there's anyone else we should talk about. Yeah, I'm just looking at my list as well. Um, I mean, I can talk about so many people, but why don't we finish off with one more that I think. Mm. Can we talk about Emma Stone in Cruella and how amazing she is in Cruella? I mean, Cruella is a film that has no right being anywhere near as good as it is, but she is so good in it. You're right. She's yeah. so spectacular. I know. The And you're totally right about Cruella. It's a really good film. It's really well made and it has so much style and she is so good in it. Um, and uh, she carries a lot of that film. I'm just looking. Shanxi. Shanxi was good. I love Aquafina. I know Aquafina does Aquafina in pretty much all movies, but I love Aquafina. If you haven't and, seen it, you should definitely look up a film that she was in called The Farewell, in which she is oh, very much so not Aquafina. Well, I mean... I mean, she is, but she also, you know, it's a film yeah, that requires... The, farewell, the Farewell's a great example of how she knows. She definitely is a is a great actor, and she can vary her Aquafina-ness to different degrees. But I've said this before, I love Shang-Chi. Well, I enjoy Shang-Chi. But I would very much like the sequel just to be those two goofballs hanging out in San Francisco. <laughs> like the the first, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes of that film, when you get past all the ninjuring, mm-hmm. is uh, is genuinely a film that I'd like to watch when they're sort of, when he, I love the scene where he goes to pick her up for work and he's like friends with all the family and sits mm-hmm. down next to grandma. And there is such a natural chemistry. I know, um, uh, Simu, Simu Liu is is very very good at building chemistry on screen with other people, but clearly that thing has been casted like cast perfectly, and I just want to watch all those people hang out. And I I also really enjoyed the um, it it didn't ever try and turn itself into a romantic. Uh, will they or won't they get together? They were just. Two, two best friends with a granny constantly asking if they're going to be like get married mm-hmm. and um i loved it i i really really loved the first third of that movie i adored i mean it's a great it's a great movie like it's mm-hmm. one of the best marvel movies uh that they've it's probably the like i think when we first saw it i think i said that it was it's the best you know new character introduction that they've done Mm-hmm. in forever since black panther at least but probably before then um yeah i just wish the it didn't end in a big cgi fest i don't think it holds up even now like oh. i do i i do enjoy rewatching it i know marvel has to do that now but um eternals is gonna uh pop up on disney plus soon i'm very curious about how i feel about that uh yeah it's this week uh, I believe oh. it's. I believe it's. Uh, we're recording this on Saturday, and it'll be posted on Sunday, and it's coming out on Wednesday, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, story. Our realtor, who is a very, very nice guy, got us as a present uh, the Eternals Monopoly for Christmas, <laughs> which sounds like it's going to be a complete shit show. Turns out, Monopoly with individual superpowers. Is much much better Monopoly. Like I mean, Gemma any, Khan's, anything Gemma, to mix it up, right? Yeah, Gemma Khan's thing is like you can change any one dice to any number you want. It's like the completely overpowered. But the chance cards are quite hilarious. It's like you have defeated. I don't know any of the references because I haven't seen the movie. You have defeated the Beast of Thra and saved the universe. Collect twenty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was actually just thinking something spurred in my memory before we move on to just going to talk about movies. Yeah. But, um, you were asking what my favorite moments of just like moments in film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remembered that the last 15 minutes or so of The Green Knight are probably the best visual storytelling I have seen. Certainly last year. Um, probably in years, but yeah, the last fifteen minutes of that movie are are spectacular and wordless. Uh, and Green oh, uh, Knight's on Prime now, right? Uh, it's somewhere. I don't know where, but it's uh, if you haven't seen it, you definitely should. That last, that last uh, few minutes, uh, which I will not spoil anything about because I feel like 
part of it is how good it is is mm. what exactly is going on but the last few minutes are are it's a it's a perfect self-contained mini story with no dialogue it's just a non-vocal performances from from dev patel and everyone else in the movie mm-hmm. um and a brilliant piece of score for the whole thing and there's at no point in that where you wonder what that what is going on ever it's spectacular that. it's spectacular and the whole movie is great the whole movie is on like on my favorites of the year list but that in particular that last scene yeah. uh, and then the very last scene of the movie is i think maybe my favorite scene of the movie totally but uh that that whole sequence is fantastic yeah you've been we never actually got around to to podcasting about the green knight did we because uh we did not. there was too much that you would spoil <laughs> yeah um, that is accurate. Did it um, without looking at your list? Did it feature in your best of the year or best of the rest? Uh, best of the year, as far as I remember. Oh, great! Yeah, best of the year, uh, and rightly so. It's excellent. So many films I missed last year. Yeah. Well, should we talk about two or three each? We we're up yes. to 40, 40 some minutes. We should probably pivot yes. to film. Uh, yes. so I guess since I probably have more to talk about, <laughs> um, do you want to do what three and I'll do three, you do two? Do you have, I mean, do you have three <laughs> to talk about? I don't know. Have I got to talk about? Um, sure. That sounds good. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, it's well established, I think on this, uh, that my favorite movie of the year isn't, uh, Nicolas Cage starring film Pig. Uh, I feel like I've talked about it to death, so I don't think I'll talk about it now. But rest assured, that is my favorite film of the year. So uh, I don't want to spoil any part of it. Just go and see it. Um, but it and it's on it's on a service now as well, which is nice. Crave? Uh, yeah, it's on something. It's definitely on demand now. Yeah. Yeah, it's on Crave. Yeah. Lovely. So how am I going to do this? Uh, let's start with what my favorite animated film of the year, which by a country mile is The Mitchells <laughs> versus the Machines. Which you must have seen as well, right? I mean, the the problem with The Mitchells versus the Machines is it's a Lord and Miller thing. And the um, two of my favorite comedies, regardless of animated, are Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 1 and 2. I will rewatch those movies over and over and over. This Lord and Miller gets something that so many other animated directors and scriptwriters don't get. And that actually, actually, they... this is really interesting. I don't mean sorry, I don't mean to cut you off too badly, but I think it's actually a really interesting conversation as well because um, they don't direct it or write it; they're just the producers. Same with um, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. They get oh. it's interesting because they're they get a lot of credit for being a producing duo. When you know Mike Rianda and Jeff Rowe uh, co-wrote and co-directed the Mitchells yeah. versus the Machines, but I, you know, but pro- st- producer, I think producers are such an important part of the medium of filmmaking too. Yeah. Like it's it's yeah. not to say they didn't have any influence. I just think it's really interesting that they get so much of the credit. Yeah, um, I think they are very very good at choosing people that sort of reflect their own take on how things should be done and the the problem with mitchell's versus machines and and anything else they've done and yes you get to talk about clone high again i'm sure um, (laughs) is that when you watch something else that's trying to be that for example last night my son it was his birthday recently so he chose to watch the adams family 2 the most recent animated version and it is so bad on so many levels and tries so hard to be very specifically the Mitchells versus the machines with elements from cloudy with a chance of meatballs like the, um, in the Adams family too, that a daughter and the father reconnect over a, um, road trip whilst they fight terrible evil. Like stop oh. if you've seen that before. <laughs> It is so bad. The jokes don't land. And what Miller, what Lord and Miller get as directors and producers is that the visual, it's got to be quick, it's got to be visual, and it's got to be like laser guided. And everything else feels sluggish in comparison. And every, you, know, you could watch 
Mitchells versus Machines 20 times and see something different each time. Mm-hmm. And, and in the same way that there's a lot of Spider-Verse in there as well, I think, with the, the hand-drawn reactions on top of the animation as well. It's um, yep, it's so fun. They're so good it's at so pushing, yeah. the, pushing the boundaries of animation just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that in addition to everything you're talking about, I think that the cast of the film are pretty spectacular. Yeah. I would say that actually Danny McBride as the dad is probably mm-hmm. my favorite vocal performance of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that it's, you know, it's another great Olivia Coleman performance <laughs> as, the, as the villainous AI. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the conceit that the robots can't identify their dog is oh, probably God. the funniest thing I've seen all year. Oh, and it keeps getting funnier. Yeah, every time I hear it, you know, yeah. it's uh, it it at no point is it not spectacular. Uh, and I really hope that you know Mike Rianda and Jeff Rowe do more, uh, whether or not it's with Lord Miller, but hopefully with Lord and Miller, because mm-hmm. um, you know it does seem like their their influence is there. But it's 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 such a good movie, and was, it's interesting that so many Netflix movies made it to my list. Um, but when Netflix, you know, Netflix is a reputation for churning out a lot of crap. But when they, when they, when they hit, they hit, you know? Yeah. So. I, uh, in terms of animated movies, I also enjoyed, not as much as Mitchell's versus Machines, although it's quite different. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but Raya and the Last Dragon came out last year. And, I did, yeah. And um, I... I love Kelly Marie Tran after all the shit she went through. I've got a big soft spot for her and she is a, a great vocal performer in this. And the art direction in, in that film is fantastic. And yeah, it does have some parallels to last airbender, but it finds its own way. It's its own thing. And it's a, it's a very exciting, very well-made movie. I really enjoyed that. I mean, yeah, it's also just beautiful, you know? Yeah uh the the it's certainly more traditionally animated from or as traditional as cg can be i guess yeah, but yeah. it's certainly yeah. a more um traditionally animated than something like the mitchells versus the machines mm-hmm. um uh and you know again another another great aquafina performance as well mm-hmm. uh, sort of perfectly cast as the zany dragon yeah. um and yeah, just uh, just a very generally gorgeous story. I also think it's important and interesting to highlight. You know, they did actually uh, get a lot of Asian and South Asian uh, talent to work on it. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I feel like we're so far away from society being fixed, but I think you know, for a company as big as Disney, even if they do it, even if they engage in representation just as a flex they're still doing it right so whether yeah. or not you're simple about it it's still happening right and i think that's important yeah and same sure. with same with shang chi right lots lots of asian talent on screen and behind the camera as well and even mm-hmm. if they're doing it for show like again they're still doing it so it's a good thing yeah uh, if uh if we can go to me talking about my movie of the year there's actually a nice sure. segue because I can't remember what the robot is called in Space Sweepers. Maybe you can tell me. I but can't remember. But I know what you mean. A, there's a lot of Lord and Miller and the way that robot talks. Like, it's just glorious how sarcastic. And, and at one point, he he uh, he just swaps at the end. His dream is to become like this girl robot. And everyone's just like, oh, you're a girl robot now. And he's like, yes, I am. <laughs> And um, he plays a part so perfectly. And the beautiful thing about this robot is that he's so um, irrever- irreverent <laughs> to what's to what's going on around him. And he is a main part of the cast. Like he's not a uh, a robot on the side. He is a very important member of this uh, ensemble. And. This is just wraps up Space Sweepers completely for me. And if you haven't seen it, go to go to Netflix and watch it. Turn the subtitles on. Yes, it's in Korean. Don't do the English dub. Just watch something with subtitles. And 
the humor will come through. It's incredibly fast paced. I love that chunky sci-fi that they've got going mm-hmm. on there. It's very kind of industrial sci-fi with things cobbled together from different parts. The characters all have interesting arcs. They have interesting relationships. There's incredible action. There's a fantastic last act that has a moment of uh, revelation that if you don't see it coming like I didn't, it's a real stand up and cheer whole shit kind of moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it's kind of science fiction movie that you watch that you wish uh, Western uh, cinema would make more of like big swings, colorful. Like I haven't seen Dune yet. And Dune is meant to be fantastic, but colorful is not a word that I would use for any of the screenshots that I've seen. Dune is, uh, Dune is definitely an ambitious film that rewards multiple watches, but colorful is not a word I would use, no. Space Sweepers looks like they made spaceships out of Lego. Like, it's just glorious and um, doesn't try to hide. I mean, that's kind of the success of... Um, big part of Star Wars' success, especially with The Falcon, is that it was one of the first sci-fi movies to have used industrial like spaceships that had been like knocked up a bit and not yeah, these that, shiny plastic things. And space so called used really future. Like. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I love it. I love that dynamic, um, slightly ridiculous an ensemble of pirates against all odds, just like my favorite game of the year, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, I'm never happier than when you put a cheeky bunch of space pirates in a situation that they absolutely cannot win. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, as a side note, too, between um, Bubs, I believe is the robot in Space Sweepers, um, and Jeff from Finch and Steve from Settlers. It's a pretty good year for movie robots. Really. Yeah, it really was. They were all great. Finch was really good as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Settlers is really good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, love Settlers. I really loved it. Yeah. Uh, well, if we're transitioning to, let's call it foreign cinema, um, I have two that I can talk about. Let's talk about the, just to keep on the, the Asian theme, the Japanese film, which I know you've also seen, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, uh, which Ooh. is on my best of the year list as well, um, which is probably the most interesting and unique and uniquely performed time loop movie that I can remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's nonstop fun from start to finish. Uh with the whole conceit that there's these two screens. This guy is a, owns a cafe and the screen in the cafe and a screen in his apartment that are linked with a two minute delay. And when they put those screens face to face, it's you have two minutes and then four minutes and six minutes and eight minutes. Uh, and all of these time loops are performed effectively live. The whole movie is presented as a single shot, but uh, as I found out, I got to speak to the director and as I found out from him, it was actually shot in 10 minute chunks which is still incredibly impressive. Um, but it's uh, it's less than 90 minutes. It'll keep put a smile on your face in the first, like, two and keep it there for the remaining 88. It's spectacularly fun. Uh, and when you watch it, you think, how, how did they possibly do this? There's no way you could film something and time everything this perfectly. And the answer is they timed everything perfectly. <laughs> They're yeah. like, it's basically an Excel spreadsheet with actors in it like it's incredible when you see how they did it yeah i think it helps that the you know the the director whose name is junta yamaguchi um i think it's junta yamaguchi um yeah um he's a member of a theater troupe which is called yuro kikaku in tokyo um and so it was just his whole theater troupe so they're used to putting things on live um and a lot of the what you would assume in a Western film would be, you know, that the the two screens and the screens within screens, once they're facing one another, would be all just green screens with stuff put in after the fact. But they actually like recorded stuff and then played it yeah. back with perfect it's cues. It's absolutely insane, and it is such a fun movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you haven't seen it, you should definitely, definitely watch it. <laughs> yes. I don't know where you can watch it in North America right now, at least not in Canada. But once it's available. 
mm -hmm. know, put it on your list, put it on your watch list because it's definitely one to check out. Mm -hmm. yep, yep, I agree. Yep. Uh, do you want more uh, you want to talk about at all, or you want to? Are you oh no, I, I mean I've mentioned Blood Red Sky, um, being a pretty perfect vampire movie. There's nothing more I need to say about that. I'm, I'm going to treat Encanto as a 2022 movie because I, it, Christmas doesn't count. I'll talk about Encanto another time and and how and why it's so perfect. Maybe after you've seen it. But, yeah, uh, that's probably a good yeah. plan. Let's talk about let's talk about television. In a, in a year where we had Loki and Squid Game, um, they still weren't the best thing on TV. And that, that goes to say something because Loki was spectacularly good. Yep. It was so good. I mean, I thought that Marvel overall did pretty well on TV this year as well. Like, I know you're not as big a fan as I am, but even I'm waning on them a little bit. But mm -hmm. even the ones that were maybe not as good, like Loki was, I think, great. Uh, and I think WandaVision started great and ended good, fine, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and Captain America was fine. But even the ones that aren't as good as Loki are all at least good, you know. Like, they're they're so reliable at churning stuff out. And I know you weren't as big of a fan, but I thought Hawkeye was kind of great. Uh, it's sort of very low-stakes adventure, which I was totally on board for. Mm -hmm. um, and you can already see the seeds of, of the things they're planning to do. Yeah um through and you know they they clearly have two big um sort of plot lines coming together and i think that that's the the way they're gonna bring those together i don't know how they're gonna do it but i think it's gonna be interesting you know i think that everyone is still chasing them in terms of you know world building and adapting material so yeah the and it's interesting to talk about that because the um the rumors from the Flash is that it's going to uh, wipe out all the Snyderverse of DC and have female Batman, female like Supergirl, Bat Batgirl as the new Justice League. And and remember, was, Snyder fans, that means you can never watch those films ever again. <laughs> I was thinking today, why do why have they not just taken a truck of money to Kathy Yan and going? what you did in birds of prey was fantastic. Like, can you do that with every other property we have? Like, how could you do all this? Can you direct, can you direct something for us? Um, that, that is focused on something else that we own because birds of prey has, when you look back on it now in compared, compared to many, many other, not just DC films, but superhero films. I mean, it, we've, we talked at length comparing, Birds of Prey with The Suicide Squad and how immature The Suicide Squad feels and why does Birds of Prey feel so differently? You made a really good point that Birds of Prey is actually made for people who are a little bit older with superheroes. Mm -hmm. It's not made for like a 14-year-old prepubescent boy. Mm -hmm. That's all The Suicide Squad is and it's exhausting. It was fine but it was just not like... So, just <laughs> true story, we watched... Uh... The Suicide Squad recently got added to Crave, which we have, and um, so I, we, my wife was like, "Maybe we should let's give it a try." I didn't see it, so let's give it a try. And about halfway in, she goes, "Does this get any better?" <laughs> <laughs> the answer is and no. Like, the answer is that like I liked the movie. Uh, at the end of the day, I liked the movie, but it was just, it was just a funny moment because like no, this is it's it's very consistent. So if you don't like it, that's not going to get any better. <laughs> yeah, no, it really doesn't, and it I really like the first guardians of the galaxy very very much and it um it doesn't have that magic at all anywhere near that magic it's just completely uh overdone and and ratcatcher is great the actress who plays ratcatcher is is really good but i would not choose to watch it again so yeah dc you should just get kathy yam back on board she was onto something like she's been incredibly influential in her sort of neon redesign of many of these characters the the interplay between the girls was fantastic between the women i should say yeah um, i don't i don't know why she's not back for sure i haven't i imagine it has something to do with you know middling critical response and yeah. probably not the financial performance that they wanted it to have but i think both of those things are kind of unfair because most critics are white dudes like like me like me and you but most of them are 
pretty down on the kind of stories that center women in particular. Um, and just anything that's not, you know, you know, dark and brooding and serious and adult. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the, and the other thing is, you know, in terms of financial performance, it, so birds of prey was actually the last film that I saw in 2020 in a theater. It came oh, out in okay. February. It was the last one I saw in theaters until June of 2021. And so I think that, you know, blaming its financial performance is kind of shitty given that it was, you know, it was the first, it was the right before the first lockdown, like that movie came out and then we all had to stay inside. So, yeah. you know, there's some definite extenuating circumstances there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I have, have exactly zero inside knowledge, but those would be the two things I might guess at. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and of course, we don't need to talk much more about Midnight Mass. We did a whole episode on it, but that was the best thing on TV last year by a country mile. Yeah. It's just a masterpiece. Go back that, and listen to it. Nice uh, that is accurate. Yeah. And uh, an amazing cast as well. And many of the casts I hadn't seen in anything before. So it was a real pleasure to start looking at or watching their other work as well. And yep. of course, Mike Flanagan, um, as it for me, was a new director. So it, it's just, just blew my mind, the whole thing. Yeah. Like I said at the top of this podcast, that, uh, you know, I talk a lot about movies, but Midnight Mass was actually my favorite thing of 2021. Yeah. <clears throat> um, although it's, and it's not even really that close. No. So, yeah. Well, I think we should probably wrap it up there. We're at about an hour. Um, yeah. I'd like to point out that this is by no means a complete survey of the year. It's just, you know, some highlights we decided to talk about. <laughs> um, mm. We have both posted uh, multiple... I posted multiple and Simon posted one, one. Year, uh, <laughs> thing. Um, and you, I encourage you to read those. I'll link those in the show notes. Um, uh, and I'll try and put, it's a lot of things we talked about, but I will put streaming links for uh, streaming and rental links for all the movies and shows that we spoke about in the mm -hmm. show notes as well. You'll need to go to the blog website for those because that's the place that they will work. So if you're listening to this on any other platform, go to awesomefriday.ca forward slash podcast and you will be able to find this episode so thank you very much for listening and we hope we have an interesting 2022 i'm sure there'll be more joys in store this year new aquaman yeah, is that this year or next year i don't know do you have anything <laughs> plan anything you're looking forward to in 2022 i i mean i'm so i'm making some changes on the website i'm doing star ratings now for reasons that i'll talk about another time um i'm planning on posting a little bit less actually trying to get a little more in depth on the things i do post about mm -hmm. um and actually focusing on the podcast a little probably a little more than than the written stuff because well, i enjoy i enjoy this more it's good it's so very hopefully, good hopefully we have some nice some guests and hopefully uh we talk about things in a little more things we're more interested in than just the newest thing yeah, that's gonna be my thing. I uh, February's gonna be a good month because Horizon Forbidden West comes out, and um, that that's the reason I bought a PS5. Horizon Zero Dawn was my favorite game of the last generation, so I'm very excited about that. So I'm mm. sure I'll have opinions in March on that. But no, um, in terms of movies, I don't know. I don't really know what's coming up too well there's loads of things i i haven't seen over the christmas period like spider-man and matrix and so on so i want to catch up on those but um i'm just really interested i hope i get into some more virtual film festivals because i really learn a lot from watching like the vancouver asian film festival which um i, I missed last year but i would love to do that i love doing vif and i love watching things that I never would have seen anywhere else before. It's really exciting for me to watch stuff like that. Well, on that note, um, I did not get into Sundance, but I did get into Slamdance this year. So that's an indie <laughs> festival. Um, and I'll see if I can get you in too. All right. That sounds good. 
Well, on that note, um, we should probably wrap it up, like we said twice now. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, thank you so much for listening. If you have liked what you've heard and you'd like to support us a little bit, there's many ways you can do that. First and foremost of which uh, we do have a Patreon and a Kofi. You can find those both in our show notes. Um, feel free to give uh, generously or not generously or not at all, but either way, we love you for listening. <laughs> And if you could give us a subscribe or a five-star rating on your podcasting platform of choice, that also helps pretty immeasurably, actually, and we would greatly appreciate it. Um, If you'd like to reach out to us, there's a contact form on the website as well if you have questions or suggestions uh, or anything like that. And that's that's all I got. That's my whole spiel. It's a good spiel. I like it. Well, thanks. Thank you for listening. We do love you. Love you. Okay, bye. Bye. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.